This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. episode, I sit down with Dr. Antonios Popayanu. Antonios earned his PhD from the physics program at the Graduate Center. When we spoke, he was an application scientist at Brooker Biospin in Germany. In this episode, Antonios tells us about searching and applying for jobs internationally, the importance of internships, and the similarities and differences between teaching and his current customer-facing responsibilities. Let's just start with you introducing yourself, what your current position is, and what that entails. All right. My name is Antonios Papayoanou. I'm originally Greek. I'm a, I'm a physicist by training. I had, a, I had my undergraduate studies in Greece in, in physics, and I started at the GC physics program in 2011 doing what is, uh, I guess, widely known as magnetic resonance imaging, which is the MRI. Yep. But the, the basic principles is, we call it magnetic resonance. And I finished at the Graduate Center in 2016, took a postdoc position at NYU for two years or three years roughly, and ended up at uh, Brooker Biospin, which is a company that makes magnetic resonance hardware, which is the entire apparatus, magnets, amplifiers, the entire thing you need so that you can perform magnetic resonance experiments. And it's called Brooker Biospin, and my position is application scientist, which is a little bit, a little bit of everything as uh, job duties. What are some of those? It varies by specific week in, week out. But in general, is, uh, I, I could specify it as customer support in terms of novel method development or troubleshooting. Oh, you get a phone call from Europe or in the evening time, you get it from the U.S. because it's, <laughs> it's uh, the morning. Yeah. Uh, saying, oh, this, I cannot run this experiment, I cannot run that experiment, and uh, can you help me? So basically, sometimes it's uh, that type of troubleshooting, customer support, I said, method uh, development, and then it goes into trainings for existing customers or customers that want to buy a broker product they come into our trainings or we organize demos for them. For example, they want to buy the entire magnetic resonance setup, which is not cheap. We're talking about probably a million or two million dollars or or euros. So customers, they basically come in before they get their grants and they have a specific set of experiments they want to run. So we invite them on site here in Germany and we run everything for them in the course of three, four days, let's say, or even shorter sometimes. And then we have, in terms of marketing, we have specific conferences that we go to in our group 
and I failed to mention my position is application scientists in the microimaging and diffusion group within Brooker Biosman. So that puts us under the category of imaging as well as some more exotic physics experiments or porous media and petroleum industry or maybe granular materials and things like that like sand, you know, uh, earth sciences, for example, we use the, those types of things. Right. So conferences for those uh, types of, I guess, science disciplines. So yeah. who, who is the client? Is it research labs, universities, yeah. hospitals? So it depends group by group, but I would say we have probably 70% universities worldwide and maybe 30 percent companies pharmaceutical companies that uh, do those kinds of experiments and uh, essentially this is the 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 group that we're trying to keep happy just to put it this way yes so do you you work just with people who are doing like research on the MRIs, not necessarily hospitals like running MRI scans? So there's Brooker Biospin in the, I guess I should say, magnetic resonance imaging for small animals. And Brooker essentially develops the entire system to scan and image small animals. And for hospitals, for human MRIs, Brooker does not offer systems for that market so essentially okay. for that market you're looking at g general electric and siemens right so we are and uh we're towards uh, the small animal imaging part okay. so essentially you have for example the university hospitals like nyu medical centers i was at they have for human mris they have siemens uh, or philips or g and they also have broker products for animal imaging. Okay, gotcha. And you, so you're originally, you came to the GC as an international student and Mm -hmm. returned back to Europe. How was the international job market in relation to like what you found job market to be like in the US? So the entire, or I guess I should say the last year for my during my postdoc i was looking for jobs basically so honestly in the us there's a lot more jobs with respect to the the nmr nuclear magnetic resonance in the mri side but uh and and europe and and in general there's more jobs in the us because people are switching jobs more easily i guess it's maybe the culture is different with respect to Europe. When you're looking at Europe, there is specific countries that they have big markets. For example, Germany, Switzerland, uh, the UK. And then from there, you're, or at least I was uh, essentially just looking where I would want to live and start start my job there. But uh, yeah, with respect to the two countries, I would say, U.S. has has more options, especially West Coast and also East Coast is a little bit more, I should say, hands-on jobs in terms of hardware 
whereas the West Coast a little bit more software engineering and uh, things like that. So that's, right. I guess that's my, uh, my take. Are these just positions in industry or were you also looking at academic positions? I, I wouldn't say I struggle a lot with this question. Yeah, many, many of my friends, they had this. So essentially during my PhD, I think it was year two or year three, I took a, an internship in, in Boston, uh, Massachusetts at an oil industry. It's called Schlumberger. It's, a, it's an oil field company. And I, I liked it so much because this was essentially a research job at a company. Right. So in my, in my mind, in combined industry and also the research part. So from year three, I would say I knew that I wanted to, to go to end, end, end up in industry. So basically, the reason I took a postdoc position is uh, just to make sure I like industry more rather than following an academic career. So basically, there was this opportunity with a collaborator of us to move from, from CUNY to NYU. And it wasn't that much of a risky move because it was the same city. I didn't have to move. I liked the, the subject and I liked the research that they were doing. So I, I took that and I learned a lot, honestly, because that group was great in terms of MRI and in terms of a little bit more theory of magnetic resonance. But at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to lean towards the path towards industry. And how did you find that internship when you were still at the GC? Is that just something you kind of came across? So connections, everything's connections. As a second year, and I should add international students, in New York, you don't have many connections, right? So my advisor uh, had many connections in that field. And I think he, he served as a consultant for that company, if I'm not mistaken. So he knew some people from there. So he, he set me up with an interview, basically, because that's, that's as far connections can get you, I think. I, I got an interview and I spent three, four months in Boston there. So your advisor was supportive of non-academic tracks? Yeah, I mean, so he, although he, he's in academia now, he passed by the industry as well. So he worked for Northrop Grumman for a few years, gotcha. uh, developing, developing radar. So he knew both. So his, um, I guess, advice was you can, you can try everything and then decide. What do you want to do, essentially? What was it like to move to a different country? Because you had obviously been in the U.S. by now for like eight years or so after the postdoc. Mm -hmm. How did you find adjusting? It was conscious decision. And we moved as a family. So we had, we're uh, me, my wife, and two children now. But my daughter back then, or in September, she was almost two. So it was a lot more complicated than moving by myself right but in terms of this type of move because it's not within the u.s or within europe so you're moving from one country to the other now it's different continents there were a little bit more logistics that uh, i needed to take care of for example you know it was in the middle of the summer now the question is 
can you find an apartment, how to find an apartment and then send all your stuff around. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I, I should say it went pretty smoothly. And also the adjustment starting at Brooker in September, it was actually really good because the group I'm working with, they're all really nice and very supportive. They don't have that many international newcomers as the US, US companies. So that I found a little bit disappointing in terms of the HR now I'm talking about. Because I feel like US, they are they they get so many people from different countries, so they have standard protocols of how to handle the stuff. But within the group, they helped a lot in terms of adjusting and paperwork and things like that. Because I should mention I don't speak German. Is English the the language of the company then? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. It's a it's an international company. It was founded in in Germany. I can't remember which year. But they also have offices well germany here it's the we have the headquarters for mri and nmr and some other departments but in boston we also have the u.s headquarters as well and we also have australia all over europe and asia pretty international yeah what are the backgrounds of the people that you work with does everyone have phds Uh, most of them they have phds from different backgrounds though. So we have physics, we have pure physics in terms of theory, then we have experimental physics, then we have mathematicians that they're developing algorithms and things like that. Software engineers from, for computer science uh, majors and PhDs from computer science, electrical engineering, because, and it's not only the fundamentals for the methods you're, you're gonna develop. But within Booker, we're also developing amplifiers and things like that. So you have to go to the lab and solder things and see if that works, if you connect that cable there. So it's more complicated that, uh, than I know. So electrical engineering is a big, big part. So very interdisciplinary kind of yeah, team, it sounds yeah. like. Yes, 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 exactly. What did the job application process itself look like in terms of, did you send a resume? What was the interviewing, that kind of thing? So it was a stressful procedure, I should say, because it, you know, you're trying to move from a postdoc position to somewhere. So essentially you have, uh, you can move to, you know, start applying for, academic positions, or you can uh, go to industry. So essentially, I was sending resumes and trying to find connections from wherever I could. So basically, the position here opened up, and I knew someone from NYU that has broker products. They knew someone within broker. So that's how the whole interview process started. Gotcha. Was it kind of standard interview protocol like who how many people did you interview with so i would say because by by then by the time i interviewed at broker i had some interviews already so i would say the interview at broker was a little bit more relaxed than the other companies 
the, the first interview I had was with the entire group I'm working with now. So that is five people plus the manager for the entire group of applications. So that's six. And that included HR. So that's seven people. And the first interview was uh, hour and a half. And so that was the first round. And then a month later, I got an invite to come visit here and talk to the group and give a presentation. So that was hour and a half first interview. And then second, second round was an on-site visit for one day. Gotcha. And then you received yeah. an offer after that? Yeah, yeah. And then it took, it took a while, actually. I think it was a month or two months, maybe to receive the offer. And I think that was maybe February of 2019. The good thing is that they were pretty relaxed in terms of the starting date. So that was actually good because, you know, I had to coordinate moving, moving out of the US, moving out of New York, getting all our stuff here. I went to take a little bit of a break. So I went back to Greece, I enjoyed the sun. So yeah, there's not so much of that in Germany. Yeah. Now it's not so bad, actually, but I should say October through March, it's bad. What kinds of skills did you gain or fine-tune during the PhD that you're still using in this position? What helped make you successful in this field? Problem solving. It's a very general one, but I think it's the number one thing that you gain. That's, that's what you're trained to do during your PhD because, you know, most of, most of the times things don't work and yes. for the PhD and it's the same thing in industry because, you know, you get a customer and then they say, this doesn't work. What can I do? And of course, some of the guys that I work with, they have 20 years experience, so they've seen a lot. But mainly, you just got to try a few things and that guides you to the next step and to the next step. And then that's one thing which is, which is really important. And the other thing is formal training in terms of knowledge of what you're dealing with, which that you can get just by reading a lot and you know, solving exercises and uh, reading papers and things like that. Your team doesn't do any like primary research itself or are you doing that still? Um, maybe I should say five to 10% of the time of okay. the, you know, every day, or maybe I shouldn't say every day, maybe within six months, we might do something. But most of the research in the papers, they come from external collaborators, which right. is also great because you, you get to talk to people, or at least I get to talk to people that I was talking with at conferences as a PhD and postdoc. And now you can still do research with them, but it's not as broker employees, we're not putting 100% of, of our time there. It's just, we're acting as support for doing this research or doing this study uh, or this project with that uh, team at that university or uh, research center. Gotcha. And it sounds like now you have pretty extensive customer service tasks. How is that kind of shift to working in such a customer facing? I don't, ah, okay, I see. So I don't know in, if this is general, but f during my PhD years, I had the team I was working with, uh, they, they were all 
really nice, you know, postdocs and things like that. So we had to, I mean, of course, we didn't have to face uh, customers, but we had to fix everything them, uh, ourselves. Our advisor was kind of involved, but we could get the initiative to fix things ourselves and lead our projects and very collaborative environment, I should say. I had very big support for my uh, dissertation projects for the group. But in terms of facing customers now, it adds a layer of you have to be precise and you cannot assume or try things that maybe they're not going to work. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Uh, so this this layer is kind of new new to me, but uh, I think so far I've done a good job in terms of customer facing and supporting trainings. I mean, trainings they're not as hard because as an expert, offering a training to someone is uh, a little bit easier than doing troubleshooting. And I guess the most difficult part that I find for my job now is doing troubleshooting on site so you visit a customer and something doesn't work so there you really have to be creative and know know what you're doing right do you see kind of with the trainings and demos and stuff parallels to like the teaching that you did in during the phd yeah yeah for sure it's essentially the same thing because the the trainings it's essentially a workshop and i guess it uh, the first workshop that we organized as a, as a group at the GC was during the qualifiers, physics qualifying exam. I don't know how it is now, but back then was after finishing your first year during the summer. So we organized several, let's call it, uh, I don't know, educational sessions. And I presented some of them. So it's essentially the same thing in terms of the trainings, in terms of demos, it brings a layer of difficulty because you have to know what you're doing, but things can nevertheless go wrong because you are sitting on an instrument and sometimes it just doesn't work and you have to figure out why. Whereas in, tra in some training session, you're just going through slides or writing on the board. What would you recommend to other or current science PhDs at the GC who want to get into this field or industry more generally? I guess number one tip would be to try things out, as my advisor told me. So if you want to try things out, you got to undertake internships during the PhD. And I think it's really easy in the U.S., or at least there's many positions in the U.S. for industry internships. So that's one thing. And there, I did it once, but if I would go back, I would do it multiple times, honestly. Then you have your, you got to face also your advisor because he wants you in the lab and he wants you to do work. But I think finding a balance between doing work during the nine months and then maybe taking three months off. And then even better, if the internship is close to your research project or your dissertation, that's even better. And mine was kind of close-ish, maybe. I mean, the, the project that I did at Lombardia, it's in my dissertation thesis, but it's, I wouldn't say it's directly connected 
to what I did. So this is this is number one. And then second, that's for the, the industry part. Then for the in terms of academia, I would say doing a postdoc is very essential. And if people are looking for postdocs, they should find people that they know that they are good, good in terms of communication, I mean, mm-hmm. and then also in terms of research, and it, it's, it's what they want to do. Yeah, I think you've given a ton of great advice. Is there anything else that you want to say that current students should know or anything else about um, your career path? we wrap up yeah maybe one piece of advice for the international students they should in they should have in mind all this or they should have in mind their career path but they also need to coordinate their immigration status with international students because this for international students in the u.s this adds an extra layer of difficulty during interviews and during internships so they have to keep that in mind and i would i would recommend to talk to someone that went through this process Uh, as international students they're working in industry now or they have a professorship somewhere but anyway they went through this process so they have i'm sure they will have good advice and many many stories that's a wrap for this episode of alumni left I want to thank Antonius for coming on the show to share his experiences as a magnetic resonance application scientist. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Allowed, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is slash careerplan For more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.